0: Thanks, guys. Now, Doug and Jenny and Paul and Evan, you've totally confused me today. I'm not sure if I should I be looking this way, or should I be looking that way. Keep it up. It's all right. It's good. It's okay. Oh hey, uh, yeah, it's all right. That's all good. Maybe one day you could be standing up there or sitting on there. Good on you guys. Well done. We are looking at the parables of uh, of Jesus over the month of uh, January. And um, we started with a parable last week, of course, and we're jumping into another one this week, uh, one out of Luke. And as I think about Luke, can you guys remember the story of a young boy called Luke Shambrook from about three years ago? That name may ring a bell, may not ring a bell. He was uh, an autistic boy who wandered away from his campsite on Good Friday at Lake Eildon in 2015. Uh, for four days and nights, uh, this little boy Luke was hopelessly lost in the bush around uh, Lake Yildon. Uh, amazingly, people streamed in from all over Victoria uh, to help look for this boy. It was just like this real outpouring of um, help and emotion there. And they streamed from everywhere. They went to great lengths to look for this uh, little boy Luke who was lost, uh, lost around Lake Yildon. And as each day and as each night passed by, of course, when those things happen, uh, hopes fade very quickly about the boy will be found alive or not. He was helpless and Luke was lost, terribly lost. And then on the fourth day, he was spotted by a police helicopter. We've all seen that vision of that little boy sort of behind those branches there, which is sort of uh, in our minds from the news reports of that day. He was spotted there and Luke Shambrook was found uh, his mother and father, along with the rest of the community, were rejoicing. Luke, who was lost, was now found. It was just a great picture there of uh, an outpouring of emotion as well when we see this young boy reunited with his um, family again. Well, Jesus does the same thing every day, the very same thing, not so much lost in the physical and finding them, but lost in the spiritual and finding them. He is finding the lost spiritually. And then uh, bringing them home. So please turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. And we will read from verses uh, 1 through 10. You'll be very familiar as we start to read these. Verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbours, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or, what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently till she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbours, saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the coin that I'd lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Father, please uh, help us today as we uh, come and open up this passage of Scripture that you've inspired uh, Luke to write for us 2,000 years ago. We ask Holy Spirit, you would come now and just really uh, open up our hearts to see a God who amazingly, graciously uh, goes after the lost and brings them home. Please help us to see that you are a gracious, compassionate and merciful God and a God who rejoices in doing this. This is not something you do begrudgingly. This is not something you do just uh, as a secondary work of who you are. But Lord, you delight in saving the lost. So please help us to see that today. We pray, Holy Spirit, and we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> so in this parable today, we do, we have a glorious picture of God's saving grace in rescuing the lost. Uh, last week, we, we saw the parable of the sower and the seed. And we saw there how there were different responses to the gospel as that word is sown to um, people's lives as they hear it, and we see different responses. We saw that our responsibility then is not just to be hearers only, but we are to listen and obey what we hear. As James would tell us in his book, don't be hearers only, but be doers of the word. So, this parable today we look at reveals to us the heart of God in rescuing the lost. By revealing into their heart the good news of Jesus Christ, his beloved son. So by the gift of faith from God that is given to the lost to believe in Jesus, they are now rescued by him and they are brought home. And then we see here the joy of God and in the kingdom of heaven as they rejoice together in this absolute miracle of salvation that God performs on lost people. What really helps us to see these parables in a deeper fashion is to understand exactly how Luke has recorded these for us. It's not just stuck in the middle of here out of nowhere. I mean, Luke's building something here which is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to actually help us to see a picture of God through all of this. The religious people of Jesus' day generally didn't like him. They weren't uh, on Jesus's sorry, Jesus wasn't on their Christmas card list. I can tell you that for sure. Uh, Jesus came along with uh, grace and truth and he upset their lives of comfort and deception by just speaking the truth, began to expose them for who they were. And as he spoke this truth, he revealed their hypocritical and their self-righteous lives. And this is what we exactly see in Luke 15 as we get there. But in order to see that, we need to read Luke. We need to read Luke that's the better way of saying it, isn't it? In the light of Luke chapter 14 to see actually what's happening in there. Because when we read both chapters together, we actually get the picture here of why Jesus has come out and said that, and we get a deeper appreciation for God's saving grace towards sinners. Luke fifteen is like a triple banger. It's like the old Big Mac. Does the Big Mac still have three pieces of meat? Two. It's got three pieces of bun though, hasn't it? I knew there's a triple there somewhere along the line. Luke fifteen is like a triple dessert. It's like white chocolate, dairy milk chocolate and dark chocolate. It's fantastic, Luke 15. There's three parables here in a row. A lost sheep, a lost coin and a lost son. And in each instance, they end with joy when the lost are found. It's a great passage of the Bible here. And this triple parable is actually being built up through Luke 14. And we'll see that as we get into it a bit further down. So let's look at it today. Let's look at what is to be lost. What it is to be found. And the joy there is in God when lost sinners are rescued through these first two parables, as we see that uh, outworked for us. Now, I forgot to mention, uh, there are some outlines. If you wanted a sermon outline, everyone's got one. Everyone's got one. None Brilliant. None left. I better print some more off for next week then. No. So let's look at lost. In these first two parables, we see there's something lost each time there's a lost sheep and a lost coin. In both parables, the lost represent lost sinners, lost sinful people. Now, this is really significant here when Jesus talks about this parable because there's two groups of people that are gathered around him as he's actually sharing this parable and talking about that. One group that is there is what you might call the elite of society, the self righteous, the religious people. They didn't think they were sinners. They were gathered around him and they were thought they were pretty good just in their own. And the other group that were gathered around Jesus at this particular time were the lowly and the marginalized people of society. They were called the tax collectors and the so-called sinners by the self-righteous. And you see that there in verses 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, which is Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them getting a picture of these two groups of people. This is the picture that I see as they're gathered around Jesus. I can see this. Here are the tax collectors, people that are hated by Israel. Nobody likes the tax collectors. They are working for the Roman government. And the way a tax collector makes their money is instead of collecting 10% or 15% or whatever it is, if it's 10, they don't collect 15. And they keep five and put it in their own pocket. That's how they make their money. And everybody knew that. That's why they were hated, because they should have only collected 10, but they had the authority of the Roman government to collect more, because that's how they could make their living. And they actually had a Roman centurion or guard normally with them around their tax booth as they did their collecting. So they were hated. Nobody liked the tax collectors. They had no friends. They were everybody's target for abuse and ridicule. And here they are, these people despised by the community are gathered around Jesus. Most probably there were prostitutes there as well gathered around Jesus those people who sell themselves for sex, those who allow their body to become a piece of meat just for pleasure of other people, these people who have been used and abused, these prostitutes who feel dirty and worthless, these people also despised upon within the community, looked down upon as the scum of society, have also gathered themselves around Jesus here as he's sharing this parable. Perhaps amongst this group as well would be the poor, And the peasant types, the workers of no reputation in Israel of that particular time. These are the ones who don't own the cool chariots, perhaps like the self righteous or the elite. These are the ones who don't have that house up near the top of the hill with a lovely big view out over the valley. These ones live in the slums. They live in the outlying villages. They are the poor and the peasants. They are just considered the run of the mill, ordinary people, nothing special about them at all. And these so called sinners have gathered around Jesus. I can see all types here, there's tax collectors, prostitutes and peasants gathered here close, intently listening to Jesus and all he's got to say. And they don't care who's there. They don't care who they're standing beside. They're gathered here listening to Jesus. They just want to hear what he's got to say. And in the same scene, in the same picture, just a few metres away, there's another group of people as well. And these are the so-called elites of society. These are the religious self-righteous. These are the people who seem to be respectable people. These are the people with status symbols of wealth and success. They dress to impress. And they only want to be seen with the right people who make them look much better than what they are. These are the people who think they are good. So good that God will want them because of their goodness. They're gathered here as well. And Luke tells us as this second group are gathered there, they are muttering and they're grumbling about Jesus. They're standing just a few meters away. And all these tax collectors and prostitutes and the peasants and the poor and the down and outs, the rejection of society's there, and these self-righteous stand and say, Huh. Look at what he's doing. He's hanging out with the filthy, the vile, and the scum. And what makes it worse? Jesus eats with them. Can you believe that? What sort of person is Jesus? They're just a few meters away. They've got a scowl on their face and they're judging Jesus and they're judging these people around about him. And they're disgusted with what they see. They're disgusted. And they're not keeping it to themselves. They're speaking it out loud enough for Jesus to hear. You see, this division's been building up right through Luke 14 doesn't sort of just jump out of the page at Luke 15. It's actually been happening all the way through Luke 14. In Luke 14, 1 to 6, Jesus has challenged the self-righteous, the religious, for not being merciful or compassionate. And then he goes into another parable in verses 7 to 11 in Luke 14. And there he challenges them and exposes the self-righteous again for their pride and lack of humility. And then again, Jesus tells another parable straight after this in Luke 14. And this is about a wedding banquet. All the nice and the clean have been invited to this wedding banquet. But none of them want to come. They've all got these lame excuses why they can't come to this wedding banquet. So then the person throwing the wedding banquet goes and issues the invitation to the poor, the sick, the blind, the crippled and the lame. And he says, come, come to my wedding banquet. You see, for the religious self-righteous, the kingdom of God is all about presenting yourself as a respectable person. And when you present yourself like that, God rewards you with entry into his kingdom based on who you are. In their mindset, they're not lost. They're not lost. They know exactly what they're doing. They know that they're following their own path to God. And they're trying to do that by their own presentation of just who they are. They know or they believe they're not lost. And Jesus has been challenging this right through Luke 14. With Jesus, it's not about how good and respectable you are to gain entry into his kingdom. In fact, it's the very opposite. It's about humbling and lowering ourselves and understanding who we really are. And that is, without Christ, we are absolutely lost. We are absolutely lost. It's not about thinking, I've got my life together and here I am, Jesus. You, I know you've, you know you've been waiting for me to turn up, but here, no, not at all. It's about knowing that we are absolutely lost without Christ. And this is what Jesus has done. He's brought this division here uh, to the light. Those who are lost and they know it, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the poor. And those who are lost but they don't know it yet, the self-righteous and the elite of society. The tax collectors, prostitutes and the poor knew they were lost and they were sticking close to Jesus. They were not going to part from him. They knew that something was really wrong with them and with this world. They could look around their own lives and they could see their own vulnerability and their own insecurity in this lostness. They were aware of their own fears and failures. They were aware of their own fragile state and their false security they'd tried to put up as a front over many, many years. They knew that. They looked broken on the outside and they were totally lost on the inside. Sometimes they try to put on a good show for others to see on the outside, but in reality, they knew. They knew that they were a mess and they were totally lost on the inside. These people looked around, these ones that were gathered around Jesus, they looked around the world that was about them and they saw all the injustice and the lies and the hatred. They saw this world was a lost place. They actually saw this world was lost to the core. And I'm sure they would have done what we saw this week when we saw a 14-year-old girl who go and commit suicide because of social media bullying. They would think, what is wrong with this world? This world is lost. There's something horribly wrong here. The lost, these people gather around Jesus at this time, have an awareness of the awful work that sin has done to us. They know the facade that is on the outside of their life that tries to cover all up doesn't always cover it up. There's always a mess of brokenness inside. They understand the awful work that sin has done and breathes this corruption within us. They had totally lost their bearings and they drifted far away from God. Just like the sheep that Jesus talks about in this parable that were lost, the sheep just kept going from one pasture to the next and all of a sudden one sheep broke away from the pack and he grazed in that pasture and then he saw some more pasture over there and he grazed in that pasture over there and he saw some more pasture over there so he grazed in that pasture over there. You can just begin to get the picture here of this sheep. It's wandering away, it's just moving, it's just following its nose and finding more grass and looks juicier. The grass is always grown on the other side of the fence So we often hear that. And before he knows it, where am I? Where's the rest of the flock gone? I've drifted away these people were lost just like that sheep and they had no idea how to get back the religious self-righteous on the other hand never saw themselves as lost this is the other group just a few metres away from Jesus they never saw themselves as lost they let themselves believe they were on the right track by doing all these good things and ultimately those good things would get them acceptance with God this is a picture of the world we live in today For those who are self-righteous or believing there's enough goodness in them that God will receive them. If you asked the average person on the street, will they be with God when they die? Do you think you'll go to heaven? Ask them a simple question like that. The average person most often would say, yes, yes. I believe I would be in heaven actually when I died. And if you ask, why do you think you'll be with God when you die? Most of them will say, because I'm a good person. I'm a good person. And God will accept me because I'm good. I'm not lost. He'll accept me because i my a goodness. That's how most people think. They don't realise they're lost. They don't realise how desperate their situation is. Jesus ultimately came for those who knew they were lost, hopelessly lost. Jesus came for those who knew they were lost spiritually. Jesus came for those who knew that they were lost with nothing to offer God in any way at all in the way of good deeds to earn some sort of acceptance with Him. Jesus came for those who, who, who they knew were helpless, hopeless and homeless spiritually. They knew that they were without God and without hope in this world. Jesus ultimately came for the lost and these are the ones that are now gathered closely listening to Jesus as he teaches and speaks. The next picture Jesus gives her in this uh, parable is the position of being found. Both the shepherd and the woman find their lost item. The shepherd finds the lost sheep and the woman finds the lost coin. Both the woman and the shepherd there, in a sense, represent God as seeking the lost, God going out to find the lost. It's a great picture here of God and his compassion. And his mercy and love, and seeking out those who are lost. Uh, When you're lost, you really are helpless, aren't you? I can imagine Luke Shambrook was really helpless. He had no idea what to do, where to go. When you're lost, you are totally lost all your bearings. You don't know which way to go, you have no idea where you are. When you're lost, you are absolutely helpless. Well, this is where we see the helpless helped by God. God amazingly and graciously comes and helps. You may have heard that saying there that says God helps those who help themselves. Some of you may have heard that over the time. Well, that's not true. That's not true. Particularly when it comes to being lost, um, God doesn't wait for you to start making your way to him. God comes and he finds you and he breaks into your life and rescues you. God marvelously comes and initiates the help while you are still lost. It's a great picture of God. Think about the sheep. He has no idea he's lost. He's happily munching away on grass and berries. He thinks life's okay. But then the shepherd comes and finds him. And then he realises the danger he was in. He realises perhaps in the next pasture there was a pack of hungry wolves there that have eaten him up. And he realises how far he's been taken back to the flock boy, I was a long way away. I didn't realise how far lost I'd got. Well, God is the same in finding us. He may use any manner of events in our lives and then reveal himself to us. And often you'll hear this about people when they, when they share a testimony. Actually, I wasn't really sort of looking for God, but he sort of just dawned upon me, sort of just came upon me. And then all of a sudden I discovered who he was. And when I discovered who he was, then I discovered how lost I really was in the meantime. I couldn't see it while I was lost. But when I was found is when I really discovered just what danger I was in. I discovered how lost I really was. So This finding here that God does is calling us into salvation, into his kingdom we're now found and saved. We're given this brand new set of eyes. And this brand new set of eyes actually begins to identify just how lost we are. And we see this picture here of God in finding us is a picture of willingness to go to great cost to find us. Willingness to go to great cost to find us. And it's an incredible picture because we can see this demonstrated through Jesus Christ. The great cost he goes to find us spiritually and to bring us home By paying the price of our sins. Think about the shepherd. Think about the shepherd. He's got to go to cost as well. You don't just all of a sudden find that lost sheep in one hour. Sometimes it might take days. There's great expense here. There's great cost. There's great sacrifice to make this take place. And Jesus gives us that picture. Jesus leaves the perfections of heaven. Jesus leaves the realm of glory. Jesus comes and becomes one of us to dwell amongst us. God parts with his perfect sinless beloved son. He says to his son, let's go find those lost sheep, those people made in our image who are lost. And son, Jesus, this will cost you dearly. This will cost you dearly. This will be a great sacrifice to find these people, to reunite them back to me. You will carry all their wickedness and their sinful rebellion and you will pay the price of that at Calvary's cross to find these lost and to bring them back home. And you will face my wrath there, but you will bring these lost sheep, these lost people, and you will bring them back home. It's an an incredible picture here of the heart of God, that in the face of Jesus Christ, he goes to great cost and extreme sacrifice with his death on the cross to make that possible. It's a picture here of a saving God who rescues the lost and brings them home. Let me say it again. It's only when you are truly found by Jesus that you'll begin to grasp just how lost you really were and the incredible sacrifice and cost that God goes to to restore us and reunite us. Lost in this world of sensual delights, lost in this world of deceptions and fame and fortune, lost in this world of power and position, we are deceived and we are then delivered by God as he finds us from all those deceptions. Jesus rescues us and delivers us from this lostness and then we see how totally deceived and totally lost we are it goes further though in this parable as Jesus talks about uh, this demonstration here of finding the lost and the heart of God as we see that working in there and the picture here we see here is a picture here of rejoicing in this work, a delighting in this work that God undertakes verse 7 just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. It's a glorious picture of God that I think we don't get and we don't see. The picture here is the jubilation in God, it's the jubilation in heaven when a sinner is found, it's the rejoicing. I think the angels in heaven look on with awe and pure delight when they see the miracle of salvation take place. When they see a sinner repent, when God has found somebody and brought them home, there is jubilation, there is awe, there is delight as they see this miracle yet again take place. And I don't think we get it. I don't think we see here the joy that God is showing us and Jesus is talking about here. I really think and I totally believe that when a person is taken from lost to found, from darkness to light, from death to life, the angels see the power of the gospel working in that person's life, that they are found and there is one massive hallelujah chorus that breaks out in heaven. And it's happening every day. It is an enormous jubilation when the lost are found. Now, I don't know whether you watched the grand final last year. I'm not a Richmond supporter. But they were pretty loud and singing their theme song. They were in one voice and they were belting it out as loud as they possibly could. That is nothing. That is absolutely nothing compared to the jubilation in heaven. That is not even a whisper in comparison to the joy, to the exaltation, to the jubilation in heaven when a lost sinner. Is brought home and they repent of their sin. The theme song on the grand final day would not even rate with a jubilation in heaven. Now, amazingly, that same scripture that uh, Lauren read before, I've got here as well. Come to me to uh, Zephaniah and hear what God says The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save, he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love and he will exult over you with loud singing. Can you see it? He rejoices over saving lost people. Heaven rejoices. It's jubilant to see the grace of God rescue lost people and bring them home. This is what God does. He sings over us with delight and jubilation when the lost come home. We will do that for all eternity. We will never grow tired of seeing this incredible salvation that God has effected for us through Christ. He is jubilant now in heaven and he will be jubilant and, and for eternity and we will be jubilant with him. Unbelievable. So if we think about this parable, we think about this jubilation, we think about this lostness, we think about this being found, where do we find ourselves today touched by this parable? Where do we find ourselves drawn into this story here that Jesus is telling these two groups of people that are gathered around him, some really close and some a few metres away? Well, Jesus is about saving people. He's about finding the lost. So don't give up praying for your lost loved ones or your lost friends. This is what Jesus is all about. He's about the lost. Don't be concerned. Don't be worried about this person that you're praying for, that they're too far lost. This person is too far gone. He cannot be saved or she cannot be saved. It's a done deal. It's over. Don't be concerned about that. No one is hopelessly lost that God can't find them. No one. Jesus goes to extreme lengths to find the lost. Keep believing and keep praying. Don't give up. Join us at 5 o'clock this afternoon and pray together with us as we pray for the lost. Because God rejoices in the lost getting found, we too should rejoice when a lost person is found by Jesus. It should be a natural reaction within us. We must join in with heaven when they rejoice over a person who repents of their sin. We have the life of Christ now flowing in and through us, So that same joy and delight in him should be the same joy and delight in us. We should be jubilant about salvation of souls. Sadly, we don't see much of that these days. And it's a terrible thing in the Western society where we live. We should pray with great earnestness that God would find the lost. And we would then join in with this great zeal and energy to be jubilant in this lost. We should be joyful people about uh, the salvations of souls. Here's somewhere else where this parable can touch us this is a bit of a sore point, but this parable can touch us. We must not be like the religious self-righteous. They stood at a distance and they sniggered and they sneered about the people that were coming to Jesus, grumbled and complained. You know, we can be so easily like them. We can be so easily like the religious self-righteous. Jesus, why can't you just go and save the cool people? Jesus, why can't you just go and find people who've already got their life together? Jesus, can't you just bring in the hip and trendy people to the church? Can't you bring in people just like me so I can really get on with them well? Jesus, can't you just go and find those people? We can so easily begin to grumble and complain just like the Pharisees that Jesus is not finding the people that I like. Jesus, can you find the people that I like? Don't bring all these other people that I don't really like that much. We're just not grateful sometimes, are we, for the people that Jesus brings in? What if the prostitutes and the drunkards and the drug pushers and the so-called rejects of society came into exchange when they're found by Jesus? Would we rejoice with heaven if that took place? Or would you rather someone nicer, more like you, and maybe just... Pray they would go to the church down the road. Ouch. We must be like Jesus. He's no respecter of persons. He's not partial. He doesn't care how somebody looks. Jesus goes and finds them. Jesus is out there working every day looking for lost people, full stop. We must welcome all people just like Jesus does. You see, if we don't appreciate what Jesus is doing in bringing lost people in because they're not the sort of people I'd like them to be, maybe, just maybe, we've lost sight of how lost we were. We've become so self-righteous, so religious, we've actually lost sight of how lost we are because Jesus is not bringing in the ones we'd like to have come in. maybe this parable touches you as well in this point maybe you're just like those people who are gathering around Jesus up close life has chewed you up and spat you out maybe you realise what a mess you've made of your life you look back and you survey your life and you think it's just been a life of pain it's been a life of drama it's been a life of mistakes you've looked back over your life and said this is a life of selfishness I've done it all about me Everything's been on my terms. God really hasn't come into my life in any way. Life has been sort of me first, me last, and me in the middle. And you look around and you see all these ideals and expectations of the right way to live, but you continually fall short. You continually trip over. You can't do it. And every time you get up to do it again, you fall over again. Maybe you're at the end of yourself. Maybe you've got nothing left. Maybe you're just... Out of answers and out of excuses, I've got nothing else to give. You're weak and you're vulnerable. Just maybe you're lost. Just maybe you're lost. You could be in the middle of a crowd of the people you really know well. But you still can be lost. Absolutely lost. Hear Jesus' word for you today then out of John chapter 6. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Can you hear that? Can you hear that? I mean, can you really hear that? Come. Come to me. And I will never push you away, and I will never cast you out. These are the people that Jesus came for, the people that are lost, the people that are lost. Here's my prayer for exchange today and for the rest of this year and every year following on, that God would make us a home for the lost, that God would make exchange church a home for the lost. And we will be thankful and jubilant for every lost person that Jesus brings into this body. And we would go out there as Christ, looking for the lost and to bring them to him. This is our prayer. And may we do that with great sacrifice, just like the sacrifice that Jesus had made for us. And may we do that with great rejoicing as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you today for your word to us. Thank you for this parable, Lord, today. Uh, of the lost and the seeking of those and bringing them home. Father, we sit here and we think about these two groups of people that are about Jesus as he tells this uh, story. Lord, there are the religious self-righteous grumbling, complaining. And Lord, there's those who know they're lost and they are hanging off every word that Jesus has got to say. Father, give us a, a fresh Uh, vision of the heart of Christ here. Give us a fresh vision of the love that he would uh, go out and find these lost regardless of who they are and bring them home. God, I pray today you would place that heart within us and grow that heart within us that we would be a body of people that seek and save the lost. Not trying to get them to, to line up with our expectations, Lord, but bringing them in, beckoning them in to come and find Christ. Lord, today for those who are sitting before me and perhaps they're lost right now, God, I pray that your spirit would just work on their hearts to hear what Jesus says. Come to me and I will never cast you out. God, I pray your Holy Spirit would work on those words and work through the truth of who Jesus is. And you would draw lost people home. Father, thank you for this blessing that we have in this word now, and I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Barbara's going to come and lead us around the communion table, so um, if I could get Dan and Sam to uh, hand out those emblems, that would be great. Or Dan, I